back down and shut your trap. It's time for keeping, keeping it sports, sports with them three. Are you ready? Are you ready? Well, I'll need some beer. Are you ready? You have to ask me nicely. Come on now, don't be bashful. Are you ready? place for the best sports talk and news surrounding each league. I can prove it with my usual flawless logic. Hey man, this time I'm gonna do it my way. Uh, what's your name again? And now, here's your host, M3, Mike Rosansky. Coming to you from Cherry Hill, New Jersey, it's time for Keeping It Sports with M3, powered by the Connecticut School Broadcast. Good afternoon, everyone. Hope everything's going well for you here on this Monday. 26th day of September, final Monday of the month. Hope you all had a great week, had a very fun, safe, relaxing, enjoyable weekend. Weekend filled with a lot of football all the way around. Get to that throughout the hour. Uh, History being made in baseball, just not the history that we were expecting or thought was going to come first, as well as a very surprising, unexpected story coming out of the NBA, kind of came out of uh, left field midway through uh, last week. So I'll give you some thoughts on that as uh, we move along here. But uh, of course, going to start with uh, football. And, you know, the, sometimes... Even as a fan of a certain team, you know, it sucks going to the games. I know the viewing experience, of course, is not as good as it is on TV because you're not as close or feel as close to the action as you would be sitting on your couch uh, watching uh, the game on your, your television set because the camera's right on the field. You know, if you're like me, you're at MetLife Stadium or whatever stadium you go to to watch football, you're, it feels like you're a football field away from the action. There's sometimes they feel like you know tiny little ants you're looking down on. But the worst thing that happens when I go to Jets games, besides the way the team plays, is that I miss what else is going on around the league. Because... On a, a week like this coming Sunday when the Jets are on the road, I'll have them up on the TV, but on one of my iPads, I will have the NFL Red Zone. And if I were sitting home in the 1 o'clock slate yesterday, I would have been stunned from what I was seeing from two of the high-powered offenses in this league, the Chiefs and the Bills. Now, I know they say any given Sunday and you can have as much stats, statistics as you want, doesn't measure the human heart. But you're going up against two teams who had a lot to prove. First, in the case of the Chiefs, going up against the Indianapolis Colts, who are feeling the heat. Frank Wright, after two weeks, is already getting questions about his job. People are saying, oh, did we overestimate this team in the offseason? So they're desperately seeking a win after an 0-1-1 start. And you would figure that 
all the Chiefs, more talented team, better quarterback, more locked in at the quarterback position. All this would be kind of an easy day for them compared to how the Colts have played the first two weeks, especially getting uh, blown out and shut out by the Jaguars the previous week. But this is the biggest problem I have with the Kansas City Chiefs at times. Now, even without Tyreek Hill, they're still immensely talented. I mean, you have one of the best two or three quarterbacks in the sport, arguably the best tight end in the sport. They're deeper at wide receiver than they were before, but still no one is Tyreek Hill. And you still have some uh, electrifying pieces on that defense. The problem is at times that they are too good and they get a little sloppy. They act like, oh, we can just roll the football out there and everything's good. I've referred to it in the past as being you know, kind of too cool for school if you want to refer to it in uh, that fashion. Because, you know, the sloppiness by the Kansas City Chiefs uh, yesterday, you know, it's, it's one thing you're doing this in the preseason. And, it, yeah, it's early in the season, still time to clean this stuff up. But Andy Reid, if, if I'm him, I'm going into the locker room, I'm yelling at the team today, like, that was unacceptable, some of the things you're seeing. I mean, it's bad enough that you have more muff the punt on uh, the uh, opening uh, kickback to you. You get a great stop, and you're thinking, oh, we're going to get our offense on the field. But no, muffs the punt at, right there in Kansas State territory. Gives Ryan and the Colts easy uh, field position uh, to go up 7 nothing early. But then uh, as they went on, you had a lot of the foolishness. First, you get the argument between Mahomes and Biennemi at the end of the first half where Mahomes wanted to uh, go for it, wanted to be aggressive. They still had time on the clock, uh, still had timeouts, and Biennemi rather be conservative and get the guys back in the locker room and uh, readjust for the second half, which I could see both points of view there, uh, especially uh, when you're Mahomes, you want to try and pull the old school New England Patriots where you get the double dip, you get a score right before half, and then you come back out and you end the football to start the second half. But Biennium was watching the way this offense uh, had been playing, saw some key drops uh, by Kelsey in the first half, and thought, you know what, let's... Get back to the locker room. Let's readjust things. And it, it led to a little bit of a back and forth there that eventually Andy Reid had to break up. But in the second half, you saw a more of this, whether it be having to settle for a field goal after a long drive, and some of that was due to their own stupidity, getting a delay of game penalty on a fourth and goal at Indies 2. You, you figured that Andy Reid was going to go for it, but... Once you get the, the penalty there, you're left with settling for a field goal attempt. Then you decide to get cute. First, you run the gadget play with Townsend uh, the, throwing a pass rather than 
uh, holding for a field goal, you'd go for the fake field goal and it screws up anyway. And there was still a penalty on that play as you got called for an illegal man downfield. On the very next drive, what a surprise, Matt and Medola misses a field goal. And from there, you saw even more undiscipline because it looked like you were going to get Indy off the field. You looked like you were going to have them, uh, you know, saying, oh, close but no cigar here. But you got that unnecessary, unsportsmanlike conduct penalty against Chris Jones that extended the a long drive for the Colts where, you know, the the Colts, nothing about them is quick. We know Matt Ryan is a stationary target. He's um, not a mobile quarterback. So he's not going to be chucking the football up and down the field, not going to be taken off and running uh, with the ball either. He doesn't have those kind of weapons, and he's never had that kind of speed. But they're taking a lot of time off the clock, running a lot of plays here to the point where when they finally score, barely left Kansas City any time left on the clock. And at, at that point, you almost put it in kind of a panic mode uh, there, leading to the tipped interception that would end this game. It was just, you know, all the way around, it was a, a sloppily played game uh, by Kansas City. And you saw the same thing uh, from the, the Buffalo Bills down in Miami. I know being playing in Miami in the month of September can be a tough call, can be a tough task because, you know, unlike up here, they're still feeling summertime weather, something they get to enjoy most of, if not all year long. But, you know, you look at this just on the stat sheet, you would think, Oh, the Bills blew them out. They put up over 500 yards of offense. Allen uh, threw for over 400 yards. Even though it took a career high in pass attempts to do so. But you had a lot of mishaps by the Bills. Their offense comes out strong, drives right down the field for an opening drive touchdown. And it looks like they're going to go up by two scores early with their defense, even with missing five defensive starters and three guys in your secondary, they were going to take a quick early lead. But Allen, you get the the, the strip sack in uh, within the five-yard line to give uh, easy uh, running room for Chase Edmond to tie up uh, the game. Then you have the, the craziness at the end of the first half uh, where Allen wasn't able to get off the spike. I don't know if he was trying to go for the old Dan Marino fake spike or try to fake them out or, or something, but you could clearly see he was frustrated with how that final sequence was with how he had to just settle for some little short pass to the sidelines to Diggs to end the half. But... You know, their offense surprisingly stalled in the second half. And you would have figured that they had the Dolphins' defense tired out, gassed and exhausted with how much they had the football. They had the football for over 40 minutes uh, yesterday. And in that kind of heat, you figure it's going to slow Miami's defense down. But the Bills, much like the Chiefs, 
were their own worst enemies. Uh, whether it was having to settle for two long uh, field goals after uh, long drives, thanks to a false start penalty on the offensive line, and as well as then when they had to settle for an even longer field goal, they missed the kick there. And then you know the theme for the um, for the Bills in the second half seemed to be long drives because they were having these 17, 20 play drives eating up a lot of uh, the clock, taking away chances from uh, two in the fins. But on the second uh, field goal try, you know that they had they had to settle for there. They missed the kick after uh, incompletions to both Diggs and McKenzie there that would have put them up by ten and had the Dolphins scrambling because outside of one long pass from Tua to Waddle late in that fourth quarter, the Dolphins didn't have much of offense uh, yesterday. They were very much opportunistic with how uh, their offense uh, uh, was. But they, they, you know, sometimes it's better to be lucky than it is to be good. They took advantage of the blunders by the Bills, the, the mishaps uh, by them. Even had a mishap of their own with uh, the Tom Morstead uh, butt punt, I guess that's what we're uh, now calling it. But even then, the uh, the Bills were not able to capitalize on uh, that short field there after the safety and settle for a heartbreaking loss there. Now, I know that there's a lot of Bills fans that are upset, annoyed with some of the penalties that weren't called when it looked like, you know, Christian Watkins and Melvin Ingram were taken liberties uh, with uh, Josh Allen throughout the day. I'm sure those tapes are going to be sent to the NFL front office by the Bills or by someone. And, you know, the NFL will be more of a watch out mode next week when it comes to Allen going forward because he's been hit a lot this season and hit a lot so far in his career too much for, you know, the football fan in me's liking. But maybe you can use this as somewhat of a, I don't want to say humbling experience because the Bills do have one of the best fan bases in the sports. It, you know, I've I never really viewed them as kind of, you know, prickly fans like I, or, you know, obnoxious fans like I do with uh, certain fan bases in this sport. But, hey, you use it as a motivating factor. You use it as something saying, hey, we made a million mistakes, but we were still right there in it in the end. But when your team's like the Bills and the Chiefs, you can get away with your mistakes. You can get away with certain poor play. Unlike if you're a fan of the team I root for, the New York Jets, who seemingly can't handle prosperity, seemingly can't handle, you know, good things happening to them. I mean, I'm not even in the building yet yesterday, 
and they're already allowing the Bengals to march right down the field uh, for a touchdown on the, the opening drive. You'd think that that team, that defense especially, would be jacked up, ready to go, geared up for a Sunday game against a desperate team, quite frankly, that has started off slower than most people's expectations. And listen, while there was a lot of chance throughout that game for Mike White, a lot of chance for you know people wanting to see Mike White come in and uh, be the Jets quarterback, it really would not have mattered who was the quarterback of this team uh, yesterday. Yeah, Flacco was not good, and it's time for him to go back to the bench and uh, just hold the clipboard. But what can you expect when you have a guy that has no mobility and has a, quite frankly, crap show for an offensive line? And you have Font playing out there um, with a, a bad knee. You know, you're not sure if you're going to be getting any of uh, these injured guys like Dwayne Brown back. And look at the Bengals. It wasn't like they were running blitzes all game. It's one-on-one matchups. They're they're rushing four guys. They're winning their matchups and blowing right past the Jets' offensive line and making life a living hell for Joe Flacco. Would have made life a living hell for anybody that was quarterback uh, for the Jets yesterday. But the problem is the Jets you know, still lack discipline in a lot of areas. And this has been going back years. These penalties, well, they only got called for four yesterday. Two of them were, you know, backbreaking. Two of them were really like, what the hell are you doing? Will it be John Franklin Myers' uh, unnecessary roughness penalty where the referees are going to have their eyeballs on you? I don't care if, you know, he was already falling to the ground as you had your hands on him. The fact is you took an extra step and you did what they call pancaked him by falling right on top of the quarterback. They're going to throw that penalty flag every time for that. The one that had me even more aggravated, even though, you know, with that penalty, you know, the Jets would have gotten off the field. It was a third down. Instead, you know, two plays later, you're looking at uh, Tyler Boyd marching right past the Jets secondary for a long touchdown. But what had me even more annoyed is, you know, for some reason, and I guess it's because I'm kind of an idiot. You know, I stayed the entire game yesterday. I stayed till the, the clock hit zero. And the Jets started driving down the field in the fourth quarter. Started to actually look like a competent offense. Even after whatever the injury scare was to Garrett Wilson in the first half, he showed a lot of toughness, rebounded, and continued to play the, on there. But they're driving down the field looking like maybe they can make it a one-score game. You got uh, second and six in the red zone. And I see Corey Davis get called for an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty because he's getting in a drawing matchup and decides to grab the face mask of Eli Apple. You know, burnt toast. 
the worst corner in the NFL, a guy who, let's face it, the only reason he sees playing time is because his coaches realize, yeah, he sucks, but let's put him out there because maybe he'll piss off the opposition to the point where we can get some uh, cheap penalties caused against them. It's, he's been that way his entire career, whether it be with uh, the Giants, the Saints, now with the Bengals. That's all he's out there to be is an instigator. And Corey Davis fell for it, hook, line, and sinker. And I'm not saying the Jets would have came back and won the game because they were still down by 15. They would have had to have had a miracle. And last I checked, uh, the Cleveland Browns were not in the tri-state area, so they wouldn't have been there to muff a onside kick attempt. But you got to be cooler than that. You got to keep your composure. And now we're sitting here with the Jets you know, at one and two. I guess anybody out there that was writing articles, trying to create headlines, saying that, oh, maybe the Jets should stick with Joe Flacco. Notice you haven't seen any of those headlines yet. I think it's all but official that Zach Wilson is going to be coming back next week. But even then, what? How's that going to help? How's that going to make any changes here when you consider you're going up against a you know, a Pittsburgh Steelers team that might be a little bit desperate in their own right, that might be you know, seeking some uh, you know, desperate times for a win. They're looking at the Jets and, and saying, oh, that's a, a get-right kind of game. Even with without T.J. Watt, they're referred to as Blitzburg for a reason. They're going to bring that extra man, bring uh, that extra effort, especially at home in front of uh, their home crowd against what is a beat-up, depleted Jets offensive line. And while it could help a little bit the fact that Zach Wilson's a mobile quarterback, remember, he hasn't played since like the second drive of preseason. He missed... A, a large chunk of time there. That's over a month and a half of game reps, of game action. So this is not exactly the matchup you really want him coming back for. In between the Jets' offensive line and whether the Steelers at some point during this game decide to make a, a change of quarterback, because quite frankly, Trubisky uh, looks like a, a lost puppy dog out there looks like a guy completely shot of any confidence, especially when he, he looks over his shoulder at practice every day and sees uh, Kenny Pickett is standing there knowing that he's the future and I'm not. You know, those are the biggest questions coming into this uh, matchup in uh, week four coming up on Sunday. So, you now a lot of things to take from this. You saw Blunders by the Chiefs and Bills, but you figure those teams will rebound. They're too good not to. But the Jets continue to make me miserable, continue to not handle prosperity well, and even worse, show a lack of discipline. And now they're going somewhere where, you know, that lack of discipline going up against the Pittsburgh Steelers can really come back and bite them in the ass, especially with a young quarterback now coming off a knee injury. All right, going to take my first break of uh, the podcast, uh, but a lot to get to for the next about 40 minutes or so here. Give you some more thoughts on 
what else went down in week three. Um, as I said earlier, there was a surprising story that came out in the NBA last week. Got to give you some thoughts on that with the potential craziness that could be happening with the Boston Celtics. And mix in some baseball as well with history being made, history still being chased after, and a big, and I mean big, uh, three-game series coming up this weekend. So, a lot to get to over the next uh, 40, 45 minutes or so here. Please, sit back, relax, help, put your feet up if you feel like it. And continue keeping it sports with M3. I'll be back. Just as a Jet fan, I think I'm not alone as a football fan feeling a little bit disheartened or annoyed on this Monday based on my team's performance yesterday. When you're a team that doesn't have great history, you cherish those wins. You try not to go out of control, go crazy, go insane. Um, and think too far in the future. You want to stay within the moment. But you're happy and you hope to to build on that. And I'm sure that's what my buddy Billy out there, who's a big-time Detroit Lions fan, was thinking after uh, their uh, big win over the Commanders uh, last week. But the Lions, yesterday was one where... When you're a youngish team, you got a young coach, you got to learn how to win those games. Those are heartbreaking losses that you got to learn. The biggest thing with any team when you're trying to turn things around is closing out the close games. It's one thing to have the comeback victory or have the occasional ass kicking uh, where you just it's clear and obvious you're the better team. But when you're a team that is uh, more talented than you, as they were going up against the Vikings yesterday, you got to learn to close those games out, especially up 14-0 in the first half, up uh, 24-14 in the third quarter. I mean, that is the next ingredient for the Detroit Lions, and they missed a lot of opportunities. You know, it's one thing, you know, you miss the field goal on the first drive of the game. That kind of stuff happens. But then you try to build a little bit of momentum and put yourself up by two scores. Being aggressive, I like the mentality there by Dan Campbell going for it on the fourth and one at midfield. Because first half, a lot of coaches would just punt the football away. But Dan Campbell is trying to ensue confidence in in his group, trying to ensue you know, a new winning mindset there. But when it you fail to convert like that, you set your opposition up for good field position. And the you now the thing is they between that and then not taking advantage of the 
screw-ups by the Minnesota Vikings? Will it be you're up by 10 in the third quarter, you get the Cook fumble in your own territory, but you go three and out right after that. Then you have a missed field goal that put the Vikings in great field position and that they were able to pick you apart you know, with only about a minute to go. Cousins seemed just locked in on Osborne there and you know the Lions were not able to respond, were not able to you know, handle that success there. As I said, that's the next step for a group, that group that Dan Campbell's got there. They're heading the right direction. I still not in love with the quarterback, though. I'm not going to hold the interception against him yesterday, considering it was on a Hail Mary. But you got to learn how to close those kind of games out. On the road against a division opponent, those kind of ones are what take you from being a cute story to a good team to then hopefully, you know, brighter uh, pastures ahead, brighter days ahead for the Detroit Lions. We need to do a witness protection program for uh, any Las Vegas Raider fans out there because they've got to be pulling their hair out. They've got to be going insane. 0-3 in the first three weeks of the season. And you've been in it every game. You haven't gotten your ass kicked. You haven't been shellacked. And you've lost by a combined total of 13 points. It's just, you know, the, the Raiders' last week's loss sunk into this week. You know, they, they never had a lead in uh, this game. Were never really able to get going, especially they had six trips to the red zone and settled for two for three field goals. Uh, you had an, an interception uh, by Carr there when you were down by only a touchdown in the fourth quarter. Now, you're able to, your defense was able to hold serve and get the football back, but even when it looked like, all right, Maybe it's our turn tie up the game, force overtime here. You had the failed uh, two-point conversion uh, attempt there in the later stages. That now has you sitting at uh, 0-3. Now, the positive here is you're going to Denver next week. And so far, I've not been impressed by Denver. Denver's 2-1, but could very easily be 0-3 just uh, like you guys. Their offense last night did not inspire any confidence in any football fan out there. They got very fortunate that all of the three and outs they had throughout that second half did not come back and bite them in the rear ends, and that Jimmy Garoppolo and company were a walking turnover last night. Now, the, the worst, I'm not sure what was the worst of them all, whether it be as far as backbreaking or stupidity wise. You know, the backbreaking one, of course, is the Kareem Jackson interception with about two minutes to go. Although you did get the football back there, but Kareem Jackson was, you know, football hunting in that final two minutes, getting both an interception and a fumble recovery that kind of sealed that game up for them. But Jimmy Garoppolo, you know, he let Dan Orlowski off the hook yesterday. I mean, 
Dan Orlowski, remember years ago when he was the Detroit Lions quarterback, he ran out of the back of the end zone not realizing where he was. But you can almost understand that because Dan was a career backup quarterback. Jimmy Garoppolo is one week into getting the job back, and yesterday seemed like he was trying to give it away to whoever is left on the the 49ers depth chart between the fumble uh, at the end of the first half, or the beginning of the second half, excuse me, or the fact that he's just not paying attention to the white line, and it's not like he's being chased back. He, he takes his five-step drop and steps right into uh, the, um, the boundary line. That kind of actually bailed him out because he did get... He did throw an interception on that play, so kind of, you know, weirdly helped him out. But, you know, they had a chance to take advantage and have back-to-back victories here, take advantage of all the mistakes of the Broncos last night. And instead, the Broncos are a very unimpressive 2-1. and one. Now, there's still time. You got a rookie head coach, but my guy Russ... He has not looked great uh, so far, and it's been anything but Broncos country. Let's ride. Now, if Aaron Judge is playing his hand well when it comes to contract negotiations or contract extensions, he must have given a script of how to do this to Lamar Jackson because Lamar Jackson is off to an insane start these first three weeks of the season. Lamar Jackson, now we all know the whole contract situation with him. He's not talking about it until the end of the year. Well, he's gambling on himself and so far he's winning. So far through three weeks, if we're giving out an MVP of September, you're looking at it, right? Because he's already thrown 10 touchdowns, has over 1,000 yards of combined total offense, has run two more in himself. And yesterday, he wasn't overly impressive throwing the football, made the plays when he needed to do so. But between what he does through the air and, of course, what he does on the ground, He's as electric a talent as there is. He became the first player in the Super Bowl era to have three or more passing touchdowns and 100 rushing yards in consecutive games. And now that that's the thing. Last week's comeback by the Dolphins cloudies up what was a phenomenal performance by Lamar. It wasn't their fault that they blew... It wasn't his fault they blew that lead. He, he should be sitting here 3-0 and and... You know, be completely on top of the world right now. Now, you know, the Ravens, well, they're happy uh, they have him and they're happy to be two and one. There's not much happiness on the other side of the field in that game as the Patriots, you know, just like Jimmy Garoppolo were a walking turnover yesterday, but now are going to have to do things 
for some time for at least the foreseeable future without their quarterback, Mac Jones, who, you know, he's lucky. In one way, he's lucky that he didn't break his ankle on the hit by Calais Campbell because, you know, breaking a bone just flat out sucks. I've never experienced it, but it just does not sound like a pleasant situation. But it does sound like he suffered the dreaded high ankle sprain. And that's probably going to knock him out for anywhere from four to six weeks. And that can tend to linger. linger. So we're probably looking at November before this kid takes the field again. And the Patriots offense was terrible with him. How are they going to look now without him? Especially when you have a former defensive coordinator and special teams coach running their offense. Yesterday was the day that the Eagles and their fans have been circling on the calendars for a long time as they put a hurting into Carson Wentz, both literally and figuratively, sacked nine times throughout the game. And the beating that he was taking from Brandon Graham and company couldn't have been as bad as the emotional toll he was taking looking out on that field and watching Jalen Hurts do what he couldn't show that he can be the long-term answer at quarterback for the Philadelphia Eagles that no they have an offense that fits him fits his playing style he's got a ton of weapons around him and then when you have a ferocious pass rush in defense like that, you're going to win a lot of games. And when you look at the rest of that NFC East, you see the Cowboys and who knows when Dak's going to be back and them dealing with the offensive struggles. The Giants, who will see how things go with them on Monday Night Football tonight, but haven't been on impressive offensively have mostly been winning games defensively but haven't faced that true threat yet by any offense and then there's the commanders who as much as I like Ron Rivera as a coach seemingly can't get out of their own ways so it's right there for the taking for the Eagles to kind of I know it's early but run away and hide with this division Panthers finally won a game, but you know, this was a game of which quarterback could be more unimpressive. I and mean, Baker certainly didn't light up uh, the scoreboard, but you know, Jameis Winston, you know, it's funny. He claims to have laser eye surgery, but still can't throw to the right people. He's thrown five interceptions now in uh, the last two weeks, and you mix that with a missed field goal, a a block field goal, uh, Alvin Kamara's fumble early on. I mean, the Saints, quite frankly, they should be 0-3 right now. They benefited off of the Falcons uh, choking a, a big lead in the first week. There's nothing been exciting or you know, jaw-dropping about the Saints so far this season. And we thought that they were going to be the number one competition for the Tampa Bay Bucks in uh, that NFC South. But even with the, all the struggles that the Bucks are going through, whether it be 
the injuries they're dealing with and they're without Godwin and Jones that compiled on top of the Mike Evans uh, suspension yesterday. You figure when these guys all come back, they'll still have enough time to get this offense gelling, still have enough time to you know, mend things together and become a co- cohesive unit. Now, what kind of role is uh, Cole Beasley going to play in this? They signed him off the streets uh, th- this past week. Not really sure, but they could use all the help they can get. Now, that it was, you know, kind of a, you know, hard to, you would figure that Rodgers Brady would be eyes glued to the set, must-see television, but it was a hard-to-watch game between these two sides yesterday, especially after the first two drives from the Packers. Their offense uh, became kind of sluggish. You know, with Aaron Jones' uh, fumble that you thought was going to breathe some light into the uh, Buccaneers, but Perriman fumbled the ball right back to them. And, you know, they were never never really get, able to get anything going offensively. You know, first, ha- first drive in the second half, Russell Gage fumbles. Then when it looks like they're going to be given a chance after Logan Ryan picks off Rodgers uh, late in the game, once again, they have to settle for a field goal. And even when you think, oh, maybe they're going to send this game to overtime, no. Now that they dropped the two point conversion and come away with a 14 um, 12 loss. I, I'll tell you, you look at offenses around the sport yesterday, not a lot of impressive showings. It was more of the defense that was up to par, up to, to uh, you know, playing to their. Uh, Capability. I mean, unless you're the Jacksonville Jaguars who had a field day on the Chargers, there's no one's offense. You know, you want to throw the Ravens and Eagles in there, fine, but no one's offense really stood out. No one's offense said, you looked at and said, wow, that was fun to watch. That was awesome. And maybe, maybe this is a sign for all of these head coaches, all these front offices out there. Take the preseason seriously, all right? Stop treating the month of September as your preseason. Yeah, injuries are going to happen, unfortunately. But everyone long ago got scared off by certain star players who got injured in the month of August during preseason games. And they saw what Sean McVay had been doing the last couple of years where he wasn't playing any of his starters, even a single snap in preseason games. And they would always get off to good starts, including you know last year's Super Bowl winning team. None of their starters played in the preseason. The, you, know, you, you look at the, the Rams offense, their offense has been eh so far. No one's, outside of Lamar Jackson and and Jalen Hurts, no one is really dominating offensively so far. We thought the Bills were, but they came back down to earth uh, yesterday against uh, the Dolphins. So, you know, to all of these coaches, all these um, 
front offices, take the preseason seriously, especially when you're charging us fans an arm and a leg to get into those. If we're going to take it seriously by dishing money out of our wallets, you guys take it seriously and play your guys at least a few series, a few reps in these games rather than them sitting in, on the sidelines in warm-up gear drinking Gatorade. All right, going to take another break here, but when we come back, turn my attention to the NBA where, you know, this, this story I still seemingly can't get my head around. Continue keeping it sports with M3. I'll be back. Connecticut School of Broadcasting founder Dick Robinson. You know, the media business has changed a lot since we opened our doors in 1964. Now media content is everywhere, on air, online, on the go. More than ever, companies are looking for people to help drive this new media. At Connecticut School of Broadcasting, you'll get hands-on training on the latest software and equipment in a matter of months, not years. Connecticut School of Broadcasting has placed thousands of grads in broadcast media careers. It's all about versatility. You see at a radio station, if you also know how to shoot, edit, and post videos, you become a pretty hot commodity. That's the training you get at Connecticut School of Broadcasting. Connecticut School of Broadcasting with locations up and down the East Coast from Massachusetts to Miami. Call 1-800-TV-RADIO or log on to GoCSB.com. Connecticut School of Broadcasting, the nation's oldest and largest group of broadcast media schools. Redefining training in radio, TV, and new media. Get trained. Get connected. 1-800-TV-RADIO. I want to get back to a story that I talked about last week that was a feature topic of mine. And quite frankly... It's a shame that it came to this. It came to public embarrassment for this move to be made. But it was announced the other day that recently suspended, disgraced, embarrassed Phoenix Suns and Mercury's owner, Robert Sarver, has began the process to sell both franchises, which all I can say is don't let the door hit you in the ass on the way out. And I understand somewhat the difficult position that Adam Silver's in because he works for the owners. He may be the commissioner, but they pay his salary. So now he's got to get, what is it, like at least three quarters approval to get a move like this done if, when it comes to kicking an owner out of the sport, especially when it comes right before training camp. It's not like this with the the uh, Donald Sterling situation where that was right before the playoffs and you had the pressure from advertisers and pressure from players during the boycott playoff games. I think if this was even closer to the start of the regular season, maybe you would have felt more pressure from the players to get this guy uh, kicked out and have him fully embarrassed on the way out the door. 
But I want to give credit to a guy that I know he's not the most popular guy in the world, but he's always been one of my favorite players in the league, and he keeps it real in his own right. And that, of course, is Golden State Warriors uh, forward Draymond Green, who last week on his podcast was talking about this and said, hey, it should be put up to some kind of vote, put up to a vote amongst the owners, amongst uh, uh, the people in charge, and make those results publicly known so that we know who is and who isn't uh, voting for this guy to get out of the sport. And I'm sure when those comments were made, then you start to see some of his fellow owners that are buddies of his, which I don't understand why you would be a buddy of Robert Sarver, that started to put the pressure on him, telling him, you know what, you bought this team for $400 million. You can get $2 billion off of uh, this now, selling them. Just move on. You, you, you're leaving in a disgraced position, but you'll be making a lot more off of this than you did buying it. So thankfully, in the near future, the Phoenix Suns will have a new owner. I just wish that it would have came in more embarrassing fashion than this, with Adam Silver putting his foot down and banning this guy for life, rather than the players and their comments having some kind of impact. Although, I do appreciate the likes of LeBron, CP3, and Draymond Green speaking out as they did. It should not have taken them. It should have taken you know, common sense by Adam Silver to get this done. He's, in my opinion, the best commissioner in all of sports, and I thought the way he handled this, although being pressured by working for 29 other owners as well, I thought this was a rare L during the Adam Silver regime. Now, the other thing that happened in the NBA last week, and now basketball's coming back slowly but surely, people. Training camps get open this week. I think we're about 10 days away uh, from preseason games getting underway. But unless I miss something, there was no whispers. There was no, no questions about this, no thought about this being a, a possibility until like later in the day on Wednesday. But late thir Wednesday into Thursday, the Boston Celtics announced that they are suspending head coach Ime Adoka for the entirety of the 2022-2023 season for what was initially reported as violation of team guidelines. And you're wondering, what the hell did this guy do? Well, the, you saw both Woj and Shams were very quick on their reporting and uh, very uh, diligent with their uh, reporting, always getting uh, the facts. As Initially, it was reported that he broke team guidelines by having a consensual relationship with a female 
that was part of the Boston Celtics coaching staff. And you're thinking, wait, if it's a consensual relationship between two adults, why the hell is he being suspended? It's, it's one thing if you don't want relationships taking place in the workplace and you know, they're showing a little too much lovey-dovey affection for each other in the workplace and you want them to knock it off. That's one thing. And you, you want to handle this internally, fine. But why are you making it public that there's potential for punishment here if it's a consensual relationship? Well, as we've gone on, we've seen that initially Ime Adoku thought it, it was a consensual relationship. And then a couple of months ago, like sometime after uh, their appearance in the finals, he de- made some inappropriate comments toward this woman that were deemed too far over the line unnecessary that led to uh, this investigation internally by the Celtics that have gotten us to uh, this point. And there's there's questions I have ab- about this. You know, you know, first it was why'd they make it public? Well, clearly you can't just suspend your head coach without there being a, a reason. Now, they didn't go into full details uh, about this based on respect for the female employee that still works there. Clearly, it seems like she might be the victim in all of this, as well as worry about any legal ramifications of, um, you know, still trying to figure out his contract situation, which he was set to make $3 million this year, but now it sounds like he's going to uh, have his salary cut in half. Uh, Now you also have to ask, what's his future in Boston? Because who have we ever seen a team have their head coach suspended for a year and then keep them after that year? Remember, well, I know it's a different sport, but when the sign-stealing scandal happened uh, with the Houston Astros, the Astros immediately fired A.J. Hinch when he got suspended for a year. The Red Sox immediately fired Alex Cora, even though they would eventually bring him back after uh, a year of uh, punishment. So who's to say that the Boston Celtics are going to keep this guy around after one year because this team could be coached completely differently than the way he coached them where, you know, they're less about a defensive first mentality um, and go back to some of the sloppy habits that they had before. I don't know how this guy, uh, Joe Musa is going to do as their interim head coach. And why are we going with this? Why are we just accepting this why are we going with this idea with this guy being is the head coach here yay he's he's my age and we've seen plenty of young coaches be successful throughout the sports world but this guy even though he's worked his way up the ranks first starting as a division two assistant coach then being a coach uh down in the g league um 
having a successful track record at Fairmont State uh, as their head coach before eventually becoming an assistant, um, first under Brad Stevens, now with Idoku um, in 2019. Why are we going with this guy for a head coaching spot when the head coach was suspended for violating team guidelines. Have you not looked at this guy's history? Have you not looked at his checkered past? I I, I get it. People are young. People can grow and learn from their mistakes. But let us not forget, people, in 2008, when he was still in college, he was arrested twice. Once in 2008 for underage drinking and aggravated assault at a Pittsburgh Pirates game. And then in 2009, he was arrested for domestic battery after an incident in a bar, a case that had to be settled at a court. And I get it. He's paid his, 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 um, his debt to society on this. But he doesn't have the, the cleanness of history as well. And have we done a full-on investigation in, into this guy to make sure he's totally on the up-and-ups here? And why have we heard from any of the Boston Celtics players? And today will pro- would probably be the day due to the fact that uh, media day is the Celtics media day. But what's the reaction of uh, Jason Tatum? What's the reaction of uh, of Brown, Smart, you know, the rest of uh, that crew? You know, right before training camp, you lose a head coach that took you to the NBA Finals in his rookie season. I, I don't know. Dude, all of this, it just it feels like a very weird story that I don't think that we totally have all the facts to just yet like I'm glad that the Celtics have shown respect to that woman and not put her name out there in public because remember last week there was a lot of speculation there was a name initially put out there that it turned out that this was not the woman involved in this thought to be consensual relationship with the Dugu and so she she faced a lot of public criticism, a, a lot of public heat, and you know that uh, you even saw Brad Stevens. You know he had a look of being very uncomfortable during the press conference on Friday, but also you know saying, "quote We have a lot of talented women in our organization, and a lot of people were dragged into that unfairly." So, you know, respect them uh, for that, but. I think there's a lot more to play out here as this year goes on. See if at some point do they cut bait uh, with Ime Odogo, which I think the only reason they're do- not doing it now is out of fear that somebody fires their head coach and picks him up right away because this isn't the end of the line from him. I think this will be the end of him as the head coach of the Celtics, but he's going to get another job. Now, he made it. A big mistake here. Thankfully, there was no, no battering or assaulting of a woman here. Well, what he did was disrespectful and shameful, especially considering 
he was in a relationship as well at the time. Now, he's going to get another chance at being an NBA head coach here. So while it may be the end of the line for his story in Boston, not going to be the end of the line for him when it comes to his story as a head coach in the NBA. Going to take one last break here, come back, finish things up for this week, keeping it sports with M3. I'll be back. As if it wasn't already bad enough that the New York Yankees were not able to acquire Luis Castillo at the trade deadline from the Cincinnati Reds. And I was kind of annoyed by them not being the ones to pull off the trade and Seattle outbidding them just based on the fact that I think the Yankees do a little bit too much prospect hugging with uh, some of these prospects, especially considering most of them are shortstops. You figure all of them are not going to play for the Yankees. All of these prospects that they have ranked in the top 100 in the sport are not going to turn out to be stars. You hopefully hope for two, maybe get lucky, three of them do. But I was willing to give away some top prospects and get Luis Castillo, but they got outbid big time, did the Yankees. Well, it's been a double whammy because, first off, Frankie Montas, who they had to settle for as their backup option, has sucked uh, since coming to the Yankees. And add on top of that, now he's on the IL where you're not even sure if he's going to be back, A, during the regular season, and B, if and when he does come back, there's not enough time to stretch him back out as a starter. He's likely, if he's part of the postseason roster, going to be only a bullpen piece well it was made even worse the other day when you saw the Seattle Mariners who must be in the season of giving out contract extensions because we're a couple of weeks removed from them giving out the historic contract extension to uh, Julio Rodriguez now they've given out a long-term contract to Luis Castillo giving him five years for $108 million with a vesting option that can make it $133 million. They got him on a very team-friendly deal when you consider the type of pitcher he is. He's not even 30 years old. You still had him for a year of control, and he was willing to give up that year of control to take more security. And you can understand that with how, you know, how much we're seeing guys go down with injuries um, in uh, recent years in this generation. Now, the Mariners did put in some protection uh, as well. If between 2025 and 2027, he has to go on the IL for Tommy John surgery that keeps him out uh, for where any type of UCL repair surgery that keeps him out for beyond 130 games, the Mariners will receive a 
$5 million option season from him in 2028. So rather than that six-year option being vested for $25 million, they'll get a top-flight pitcher for only five. Now, for his sake, I hope he doesn't have any arm injuries, but just another reminder of what could have been. And now they've got their rotation set with two lockdown pitchers at the top of the rotation and Castillo and Ray mixing with some kids uh, behind it. And the Mariners, they're going to make the playoffs this year, but they're going to be in a, a pain in the ass in the years to come in the American League. Congratulations to Albert Pujols, who on Friday night joined rarefied air as he hit both his 699th as well as his 700th home run of his historic legendary career, joining now Barry Bonds, Hank Aaron, and Babe Ruth as one of only four men in history to hit 700 home runs. And now let's face it, this year has taught us a couple of things. One, that Albert Pujols never should have left the Cardinals. And even after 10 years away, he's still so beloved in uh, that city. And I love the second half renaissance he's going on here that he's just motoring right through the finish line because one way or another, this is going to be it for uh, the machine. And two, to just sit back and appreciate greatness before you. He's not as good as he once was, but recently he's been on this hot streak. He's been on this tear. And those years with the Angels were... It got off to a good start statistically, but started to fall apart due to injuries and um, lack of team success. You forget how great this guy was. This guy was an offensive force. He was, as I said, he was the machine when he was with the Cardinals the first time around. And who knows what kind of numbers he would have put up if A, the National League had the DH earlier, and B, he had remained a Cardinal his entire career because I, I do think that started to begin the slow but sure decline of Albert Pauls. But glad to see him get this accomplishment. Glad to see him achieve this. Not exactly the home run, you know, record breaker, home run milestone that I was hoping for in this last week. As I was more so hoping that. It would be Aaron Judge getting his 61st and 62nd home runs of the season. But he did last Tuesday night reach the 60 home run mark. And that kind of set the Yankees blazing here in this uh, seven-game uh, win streak they have. Because you know, they, were, they were doing nothing against Pittsburgh Pirates. And then he hits the home run in the bottom of the ninth inning. And boom, 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 within... You know, a minute and a half, you got the bases loaded there. You get uh, a single by Rizzo. Uh, Torres gets gets on with a, a base hit. Donaldson walks. And then you got the grand slam uh, by Stanton that really got this uh, team going, got the, the place you know, up for grabs. As insane as they were going for Judge's 60th home run, 
You got them falling all over each other for Stanton's walk-off. Now, I do think spending the next three days in Toronto will help Aaron Judge a little bit because I started to notice on Friday him pressing a little bit when it comes to trying to do this. He Friday seemed like it was the first time he was actually trying to hit a home run. And I I can understand the mindset because he wants to do this record at home. He wants to make this history in front of the Yankee Stadium crowd. But look at what's happening every time he steps to the plate. You're having the game essentially stopped as the umpire has to go over and change the baseballs, making sure he's getting these special baseballs with the marker on it to show that this is the ball if it does get hit into the seats. And you're having the entire stadium rise as one. It it feels like the Yankee fans are there not to see the Yankees win, but to see Judge have this historic moment, have this historic milestone. So with all the eyes on him, it's got to be, even as cool customer as he is, it's got to be a slightly nerve-wracking thing because this is different from Jeter's 3,000th hit. No one expected Jeter was going to hit a home run for his 3,000th hit. We were just hoping for that base hit to happen at Yankee Stadium. We're sitting there waiting for one of the best home run hitters in the sport to hit a home run. It's not, it's not just an easy thing to hit the ball 400 plus feet and for it not to be caught by an outfielder, for it to be going over that wall. So maybe these three days up in Toronto take a little pressure off him. If I were Boone, I would I wouldn't hesitate to give him a night off, especially if say they win tonight and that locks up the East, that the the magic number right now is down to one or two and all all it's gonna take is one win against the Toronto Blue Jays. If they clinch tonight, he has a couple of hits but not a home run. I wouldn't hesitate to sit him to Mark. Give him a full, real day off because he has been playing not just every day, but with the exception of Sunday night's DH night, he's been playing every single day for like a month now and been carrying this team even before this run that they've gone on since the start of uh, September to kind of put the woes of July and August behind them and fully lock up this uh, division. But, you know, hopefully he does get that done this week. It would be a shame to see him not hit a home run again for the rest of this season after coming so close to this record. But that will definitely be something to keep an eye on, as well as uh, the big series coming up this weekend in the National League East where it's going to come all down to this people. Mets versus Braves, who's the two seed and who's playing in a wild card series in the first round. They've put enough distance between themselves and the St. Louis Cardinals that the winner of this division is going to be the two seed and have a first round bye and home field advantage in the NLDS. It's just a matter of who uh, gets this done. And you know, the, 
some good things have happened for the Mets this week with not just getting Scherzer back and him pitching well in two starts, but you've seen Alonzo and Lindor uh, catch fire. Alonzo has just uh, been uh, knocking the cover off the ball this week and took advantage of getting a, a rare late-season West Coast trip uh, to play the A's. But uh, even around the craziness that was Saturday with DeGrom getting knocked around there, we're still taking care of business. But we sit here at the same place we were at about a week ago this time. They're a game and a half up in the standings. The The Braves have a game at hand. And outside of this series, these two teams pretty much have a cupcake schedule here uh, going forward as the Braves are playing a three-game set with the Nationals starting tonight, while the Mets have a two-game set with the Marlins uh, at uh, City Field on Tuesday and Wednesday before these two teams will collide in Atlanta over the weekend to ultimately decide the National League East one way or another because after that, the Mets will finish with the Nationals, and the Braves will finish with the Marlins. And you, you don't figure that much is going to change as far as standings is concerned after those series. So this is going to be what decides it. And the Mets, they've got their horses lined up. They've got their top three in their rotation. Bassett, DeGrom, and Scherzer lined up for this series. And now, like I said last week, they have to win this division. They cannot afford to be... A wild card. When you look at the fact that Lindor and Alonso between them have each only missed one game this entire season. And the fact that you want your big three in your rotation to start a division series. You don't want them to have to be used in the wild card round just to get through that round. And then in the first round, you got to go out to L.A. and play the Dodgers and hope to, at the very minimum, manage a split with Taiwan Walker or Carlos Carrasco on the mound for games one and two. You want to be in a position where you get the first round by, you get a division series with a fully rested, fully ready to go, either DeGrom or Scherzer in game one, so that, heaven forbid, there's a game five in that series, you bring them back to start that game with the other one ready to go in the bullpen to back them up and get the ball to Diaz uh, in that. So it's all on the line this coming weekend. It's going to be fun. It's going to be interesting. As someone who's got no dog in the, in the race there, who's just a diehard baseball fan that will be an interested observer, while I've got one eye on the TV on Aaron Judge, I'll certainly have my other eye on the iPad watching Mets Braves this coming weekend. See who's going to be that number two seed in the National League. And that, my friends, was Keeping It Sports with M3 from Monday, September 26th, 2022. Everyone, please have a great night. Have a great week. Stay safe with whatever you're doing. And I'll talk to you guys again same time next week. Until then, peace.
We have to go. Good night, everybody. I have had enough of you. Thank you for all the fun. Thank you. Hey, shut up, will ya? I don't want to see you. I don't want to hear you. I don't want to smell you. Now leave. I'll be back.